Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. On today's show, I've got Jesse St. John Sharp. She is ITV's The Biggest Loser official runner-up in 2012, losing 7 stone 8 pounds in just 24 weeks. She is now a qualified PT, uh, BCSC Sports Coaching and Analysis, and now studying a Master's in Cardiac Rehab. So welcome on to the show, Jesse. Thank you. Hello. So before we delve into today's topic, Jesse. Uh, can you kind of divulge, firstly, what was kind of the initial um, things going through your head, like from a mental perspective, as to why you wanted to go on The Biggest Loser to kind of, what was kind of the catalyst and kind of final, uh, how would I put it, uh, like alarm bells to say, well, I need to do something about my health? Um. Okay, so I would say mentally, I think I had, I would say of being paranoid like I was extremely paranoid because I'd been overweight I felt like everyone was talking about me and laughing at me like I felt that a lot um I was tight I was very unhappy I wasn't able to wear the clothes that I wanted to wear and I just was I wasn't really living a life I suppose in in a sense because I felt like all this extra weight was like Um, stopping me from socialising and mingling with other people in a sense and I did have a couple of episodes where my heart just like it was almost like the pressure of holding this weight I felt my heart like like a pain in my few occasions and um, I, I knew that I had to do something about it but I just felt that I was so big and I'd been big for so long that I didn't know how to go about it I didn't know what to do and then um I saw an ad for the biggest loser um on television and I was like yeah I'm applying for that yeah and 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 with regards to like you'll be at your bachelor's of science now did you start that after you'd gone on the show or was that something you'd started before it um after so after so once I once I complete the show it's like I got obsessed with educating myself about the mind the body and yeah because I I qualified as a PT then I wanted more knowledge and then I did my my bachelor's so yeah afterwards and you talk about the 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 seek seekingness for knowledge why why do you think that came about after or have you not being that kind of way inclined naturally um I suppose before I I couldn't I didn't care less about food and the effects that it had on your body I I didn't care but then because I had like the before and after of how great I had felt once the weight had been lost I felt like well other people need to feel like this because I feel amazing and I think that's what that's where it came about like I just wanted to know about everything how it affected the mind how it affected the body and also sharing that I want to share that knowledge with others as well if that makes sense Mm -hmm. 
And we talk about obviously the weight loss that you you uh, accomplished, I would say, during during that week, time period. Now that you are a qualified professional, now you could probably take it from two different uh, opinions. Now, from your professional standpoint, would you say that kind of weight loss is probably too drastic of change for some people? What what would you what do you mean like going to what do you mean in the time span? Yeah, in the in the just, time span. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, when you lose that weight, that environment of the biggest loser, and I'm very grateful for it. And without it, I wouldn't be where I am now. I know that much, but it's a very synthetic, fake environment. As in, like we was training six hours a day. Uh, seven days a week we had no television no everything was weight loss all of our food was like weighed out for us it was all about weight loss and nothing else and that is not realistic and that is why um I lost so much in that short space of time and I know a lot with um contestants from the biggest loser they normally put the weight back on to be honest with you most of them um so it just goes to show that losing that weight in such a synthetic way is not is not good and it's what's the word um it's not realistic really from someone to go from zero to 100 like that it's not realistic for the average person um so i would say in general no i wouldn't say it was good to lose such a short amount uh, such a big amount of weight in a short space of time and even in terms of um say loose skin and stuff like that I mean I experienced that really badly and I was told that if I would have lost that weight over a slower period of time the loose skin wouldn't have been so drastic so yeah there's that side of it as well so, I, I never thought of it that way as it had been I, I you can I, I think I guess well for the people that have seen it in the past or seen different shows be it the British one or the American one yeah, I can see why the contestants are pushed to breaking point at so much when you explain that you're doing exercise six hours a day it's pretty even for somebody that's that way inclined mentally that's very very probably difficult to motivate yourself anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had, like, after the biggest loser, my heart rate and blood pressure and everything, it was that of an athlete. It was, like, impeccable. In fact, I, I went, I did a session at the gym and I, I, you get, I got, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but when you go a little bit too far with the gym stuff, you start going crazy with it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, has it? <sighs> from that regard, from an exercise perspective, no. But obviously, I was an athlete, so I didn't have the um, luxury of getting to that kind of compulsion because, in an essence, you have to do it in a, one way or other. Because... What, what? You train six hours a day, is it, athletes? I think it would depend, it depend on sport. Um, if I kind of look you at it from... Well, that, from basketball perspective, no, because it's very much domestic level, so I train at most twice a week so it's it's very much a hobby oh, yeah. now but back in the day probably elite level or would it be um volleyball i'd have been training between 15 to 20 hours a week oh. uh rowing was 30 30 rowing would probably be as close as you're going to get to that compulsion that you talk about 
that was upwards of 30 hours a week, so it's virtually a full-time job, so... 38, wow, okay, yeah, so it's very similar then, very similar. But I would um, never say that's compulsion, because it's coming back to that root essence of sport, it's you're doing it for the enjoyment, so it's, I'm, it's, I, I, I would, I would probably, probably go stretch it a little bit to probably a compulsion, because you become like you say, a little bit addicted to it. But then I, I, at the same time, I was studying, so I could kind of balance between the two that I wasn't solely 100% immersed in sport and it was 100% this all the time. So I think, obviously, other athletes are not in the same boat, so they probably would probably fall in that same category that you, you speak about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that happened to me, like, I got really addicted like to the point where I had sold my car no I had a car I bought a bike and I was using my bike to travel everywhere I had a thing where I had to do minimum 5k a day so I would do 5k a day um I would ride to the gym even because at the time I wasn't a PT I used to work nights so I'd ride to work which was about 40 minutes um ride to work do my 12 hour night shift then ride to the gym to do 5k like it was like I was addicted and then one time I literally fainted in the in the shower and then they like said my heart like my blood pressure was something like I would say I can't even remember like sort of it must have been about 60 38 something like that like very very low so they like injected me in my my heart because they was like they didn't know at the time that I was like fit and crazy they thought I had like a heart condition mm. they put something in my heart to speed my heart up and then um after that after that and I was in like in the hospital and they gave me like Lucozade and all this stuff after that I calmed down but there was a period where I was like crazy like it does happen you get like addicted but Jesse, you you talk about riding your bike. Obviously, for the people in the UK, would assume you are from London, but a lot of people obviously around the world probably wouldn't know that. Wouldn't you say that's a little bit dangerous? Bike riding. Well, I would say so in London. No, 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 no. You get you get used to it. I mean, if you're from if you're from London, I mean, to someone who's not from London, they could say walking up the street at two o'clock in the morning is dangerous but when you're from here it's so normal to go out at two o'clock in the morning if you wanted something do you know what i mean so to me no i, I wouldn't say it was dangerous where are you from north well, I, well i'm based in north wales now but i did live in london for a bit no i mean from a traffic perspective more than say going out 24 7 mm, no not really not really no not at all i've never had issues to be honest with you the only thing that used to frustrate it frustrate me was are you you know when you cycle a bike you always feel dirty do you know what i mean you always feel sweaty that was the only issue that i had why why do you why do you say that what because uh because you don't really get a respite you mean as in like you know like for example you you, you get dressed up sort of thing or whatever and then you've been sweating on a bike for 30 minutes. It's like you never really feel fresh, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? No? I, I think so. Yeah. 
because it's like cardio isn't it it's like you're doing cardio to go somewhere so then it's like you don't feel yeah you feel like you need to have a shower the moment you get there i think that's personal uh, that's personal preference I, i've heard of people do that but that doesn't that that's i get that argument where people say well why do you do that go you want why do you want to have a shower when you're going for say example that you you set uh, you bring up of going to the gym it's a bit pointless because you're gonna then sweat again yeah yeah but that's what i mean like you just always feel like dirty i used to cycle everywhere so if i was going out to dinner with my friends i'm getting on my bike so i could have like my makeup on my shoe and i'm cycling down there so yeah that's what i mean <laughs> i was proper addicted <laughs> but then what wh- why why the bike because it was another form of exercise that you could get in where People yep. would argue, well, you've got access to other forms of public transport to get around. It was just, it it was really strange because it was like I was addicted to numbers, to calories, to everything. Like, it was like a real numbers thing. So, like I said, it was minimum 5K every day that I had to do. I had a certain, I can't remember the number now, but I had a certain amount of calories I had to burn. I had to reach 10,000 steps. And it was all about numbers. So cycling was just another way to burn calories in my mind. But, but do, at the same time, get to where I'm going. But do you think it's because the biggest loser kind of put it into probably the back of your mind and maybe subconsciously this kind of regimented way of going about things? Definitely, because what the biggest loser does is it teaches you how to lose weight and how to lose it quickly. But it doesn't teach like that is not normal. But obviously, if you go from no exercise to eating loads of junk to the polar opposite, you don't really know what is normal. So it doesn't teach you how to be normal because the average person doesn't do that. The average person doesn't, you know, they go to the gym, maybe what? Some some average slim people don't even go to the gym five times a week. Let's be real. Like, it's more like three times a week. And they eat, they make sensible food choices. I didn't know that, you know. I just knew one extreme and the other extreme. So, I knew. But then would you not agree that maybe they should look at, I don't know, what I don't, from a program perspective, it's probably very difficult, having something put in place that it's obviously maybe have a psychologist there as well to see how the well everybody's as you know everybody is different how everybody is responding to that type of environment how it's affecting them uh from a mental perspective emotionally etc but then also from obviously you as you talked about earlier with it being becoming actually your way of life it's become a habit so it's very much how I would say was a negative, I don't know if you'd agree with it, a negative thing on your life because it's become so obsessive that you you, you kind of going down a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, the the aim of the show, obviously, in a sense, the biggest loser is a company as well. Let's not forget that it's a company, regardless of television, the biggest loser is still going. They still have, not so much in the UK, but especially America, Australia, they still have their products and, you know, you can go onto their website and sign up. So it is a business in itself. Mm. So 
in terms of numbers, people tuning into like tuning into the program, they want people to lose big numbers each week. Like in their mind, if you're not pulling those big numbers, it's not a good show. So they put pressure on you because they're under pressure to have a certain amount of results. So it's kind of like they don't really I won't say they don't really care about how you feel. Well, no, they don't. They they didn't they should have had a psychologist. And I think even after they should have because they don't like say someone like me, I've been massive all of my life. I didn't know any different. Like I didn't know any different and I didn't realise how traumatic everything can be. And it sounds it sounds really dramatic, but it's not because it's such it it's made such a difference to my life. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially on the loose side of the loose skin side of things like I'm really happy I've lost the weight and everything but I wish someone did tell me that I would have had those issues because you put in all of this hard work and then you still can't wear the stuff that you thought you'd be able to wear do you you know so that I felt like I could have done help like I could have had help with that definitely but do you think that would have changed your mind at the beginning of the um, application process, if you knew what the things that you know now, no, no, it wouldn't have changed. It wouldn't have changed my mind. And I love the show. I love what it does. But if there was any negatives, it would be what I've just said. But it wouldn't have changed my mind. And it's literally the show has has changed my life, and I'm grateful for that. But then coming back. Now, from, say, the personal training perspective now, and obviously the people that actually train the contestants now, mustn't they be in kind of two two frames of mind because it's going against everything, everything you've been taught, taught yeah. to, to help people with, but then also you're trying to... Yeah, I mean, from a personal trainer perspective, I would say, like, you know, when someone's really sort of morbidly obese, you're going for sort of long, slow distance training. You're going for that. So I don't know. They must have felt comp- like in a compromising position. You know, you've got someone who's like, there was one contestant, you know, he was 30 plus stone and they're doing exercises like hip. Like, you know, that's, that's very dangerous, you know. And there was, we had doctors and stuff on site, but that does conflict with what you're, what you're taught so I don't know how they must have felt to be honest with you but then from a television perspective now Jesse do you do you remember if I don't know if you've watched it back your actual series since mm-hmm. or since after obviously you finished it did they have like any um, medical warnings to say well they were medical staff in place obviously this this is kind of um as you put it, not real life scenario because obviously the general public don't have doctors on call on standby uh, next to them while they're doing exercise. Do you do you remember if that was actually the case? Say that. Answer that question again. So I fully really understand. In terms of when it was aired, did they actually say in in the program that obviously this is like um how would I put it uh. And not a real life environment. Obviously, there's medical staff there on on standby if something did go wrong, which wouldn't be the case um, in real life. I think it was very much a thing that we knew, but it's not something they 
advocate. And when we finished The Biggest Loser, we was in a contract. I think it was three years. We wasn't really allowed to talk about certain things or talk about it in a negative way. We wasn't allowed to do that. Um, so say like now that that contract is is gone now. So I can say what I want to say. Um, but even down to the things like the cookbook, they had a Biggest Loser cookbook. And the stuff they have in the cookbook wasn't stuff that we was eating on the show. So, yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very, yeah. They they didn't, they didn't mention that to the general public that there was ambulance staff and all this kind of stuff. But I, I think, Bobby, well, I, as you know now, being a health professional, you probably assume there's going to be something in place because there is... X amount of factors that could go possible. I, I'd say worst case scenario could possibly go wrong. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, everyone on the biggest loser is pretty much deconditioned, like de- deconditioned, overweight. You know, all already there's underlying risk factors there. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So, so come in and do drastic exercise. You know, for someone that's young, you know, if you're young, you know, you've got less, you know, less likelihood of, of stuff happening to you. But, you know, the bigger you are, the older you are, the more risk, the more of a risk you're at. So it's it's very dangerous, very dangerous. I, mean, the- I, I haven't heard, to be honest with you, I haven't heard of there being any um, fatal incidences like on The Biggest Loser. I haven't heard of any, but it is. It's a, a thin line, really. It's a thin line. But then the argument, Jesse, for the older population, they might say that the younger um, generation now is becoming a little bit more lazy. So they may be less inclined to want to, and this is a generalisation now, to possibly want to help themselves, be it and if they are in that position. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in my lecture the other day, funny enough, we were talking about calories and calories used now about 100 years ago the average person was burning about 3,000 calories a day and that wasn't um using the gym that was just doing things like you know using the broom not having a car you know all of these um all of these items that we have now make us expend less energy yeah so we're as it's not even something that um, it's something so normal, you know. Everyone now is expending less en- energy. All of the appliances, all of the equipment that we have now, makes us use less energy in comparison to back in the day. You know, they was burning on average three thousand calories a day without going to the gym. This was just natural, natural daily routine. That's what you're burning, and today is two thousand. If that, really, if that, I reckon if they was to maybe even do new studies, I reckon the average person doesn't burn 2,000 calories a day. Do, do you know what I mean, the average person? In terms of what you're eating as well, you know, it, we are getting lazier as a human race, I think, definitely. Well, I could, you could probably stretch that as far as also knowledge as well. It's, it's people, I, I think, are... I won't say less inclined to go and find the information for themselves, but they are quite happy to be somewhat dictated to, okay, this product is blah, blah, blah. It's it's supposedly good for you. Whereas I think 
like like we are being in that health profession, I, I would question loads of things around something. It's like, well, is it really? Um, I don't know. This is coming back. I, I talked about it a few months ago on the podcast about the new the BBC News did something in regards to, I think it was salt or sugar, and they said, oh, this is X amount higher than what you should be eating on a daily basis, but then didn't actually put it into actual um, an equatable measurement. Well, okay, that's misinforming the public straight away, but that's me being able to, I think that's probably my way of thinking, well, okay, you, you've said it's this, but from even like a package pers- uh, perspective now, they will break it in da- down to, in most cases, 100 grams and then a serving size as to what is the contents of that ingredient. So to new- for the news to say these these products are higher in salt or sugar than your daily allowance is a kind of misconstrued and it's kind of given the wrong information. Well, in terms of like the media and what the media puts out and the government and stuff like that, personally, I think it's all consumerism, yeah? I, I, I think, if I'm being honest, I feel like having sick people, having overweight people, uh, you know, people have disagreed with me, but I think it creates revenue. It creates money. McDonald's, you know, if people wasn't addicted to all of these fast foods, these high sugar foods, there wouldn't be that revenue there. Do you know what I mean? So as much as they say, oh, high sugar, high sugar, if the government wanted to, they could clamp down on that. You know, they didn't want people driving into London. That soon stopped with the congestion charge. If they really wanted to put, I feel like, if they really wanted to stop obesity or get people healthier, the government could do a lot more if they wanted to. But let's not forget these fast food companies, these chocolate companies they make huge profits you know and and that tax is going back to where back to the government and it's just to me it's just a messy circle but I know obesity having people obese it creates money whether people like to think of it in that way or not I think it does you know no it's that that's that's an argument I would definitely agree with it's it's yeah I think there's it's for the people that would disagree with that, it's, it's like, well, okay, it is your opinion. But you could say it is that kind of vicious circle of the government, the food companies, and the, obviously the, we didn't, you didn't talk about the pharmaceuticals, but it's kind of a vicious circle. Yeah. They, they're all helping each other out one way or another. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even in terms of, all right, like I tweeted, I don't know if you saw my tweet today, but a guy went into hospital and he only, he had something wrong with his foot anyway, and he had hospital food. And the hospital food, I don't know if you know what canola oil is, but it was basically mm. like canola butter, which is like the worst form of oil there possibly is, like canola oil, bread, and apple crumble. That was his meal at the hospital. Like, how is that? Like, that is going to make you sick in the long run. Like, where is that for health? Do you understand? Like, it's, I think it's just a, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. Definitely. Well, it's I would say it's it's kind of oh, the argument for that would be two sides of the coin because obviously you talk about that meal it's not over the long run is not nutritiously uh, well viable, and then also on the flip side of that, 
the gov- uh, government, the the hospital is trying to cut costs in terms of their overall budget. So they're trying to keep their food bill as low as possible. And obviously, well, as everybody would know, or or would possibly in some cases possibly like to uh, ignore, is obviously cheap food. Uh, cheap cheap food is is more, in more cases than than none not good for you it's not and and the thing is is it's like practice what you preach like practice what you preach if you're going into hospital and this is a place that's going supposedly to make you feel to get better you have to give those healthy foods like let's just say it was someone with diabetes and they was in there due to i don't know um having going hyperglycemic or whatever the case is you're going to give them this crappy food you know you're going to give this give them this rubbish how does that how does that work you know but then for for that argument jesse you would hope that somebody that has got well be it type 1 or type 2 diabetes and is very knowledgeable of their their or how would i put it that disease was not really a disease but their condition would be able to question that this is not the right food I should be eating. Is there something? Well, I, I, they probably could come from it from multiple angles and say either we politely say this is. Do you have something else I could have, or obviously go off the rails and say I'm not eating this. Do you know what, James? Do you know where? Okay, the UK as a whole, yeah. Do you know where the majority? Like they did a study, and do you know where the majority of people get their vitamin C from? No, I'm quite interested in what the, the, the answer to like, that. Have a guess. You will never guess because I didn't. My lecturer told me this, but have a guess. I'm assuming by that response, it's not from something that's actually good for you then. Yeah, potato. Well, it's not too, it's not too, even, it's not too I, bad. I didn't even know that potato had um, vitamin C. I didn't even know that. But that is where majority of people get their vitamin c from that's how bad as a nation our diet is that we get our um our vitamin c from potato that that's crazy for me well you probably could go a step further in terms of you you say that would you would you mean as in it's it's an unhealthy form as in a french fry or chips and things like that then definitely yeah it's definitely not gonna be like bored (laughs) Which is crazy, which is crazy, you know, which is which is crazy. It really is crazy. But then, do you think that comes back to? Oh, and I've raised this probably on several episodes now. Do, do you think it comes back to people not being taught about their nutrition, be it from a family perspective and then also from a school perspective? Would you, just out of interest, would you say that disease is hereditary or do you think that you get disease based on your diet choices, which are hereditary? Does that make sense? It would, it's, in most cases, in in most cases, it would be, it would be your diet choices because you can't, you say, um, you know, do you have a, a history of cardiovascular disease, for example, yeah? But then 
do you, are you actually at risk of cardiovascular disease because you had the same diet as your parents and your parents before that had the same diet? Like, do, do you know what I mean? Or are you genuinely genetically at risk or is it the choices you've made over a period of time? Um, I think you could probably come from it to the, that, that, that answer from probably both standpoints. Okay. You could have a hereditary disease. Okay, heart. I think heart, heart, cardiovascular disease probably is a poignant one because it's possibly okay. You, there's nothing you can do about your DNA. You can't. You well yet. Uh, but but then in terms of like the 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 nutrition, I think you've got a fair point in saying it's it's that because everybody in reality, well, they may say they don't, but you'll have a choice as to what you put in your mouth. Nobody is forcing you to eat, I don't know, KFC, McDonald's, all of that kind of type of food, ready meals. All right. and... hey, you're, I'm assuming you're mixed race, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like me. Okay, so say like they say ethnic, ethnic minorities are more at risk of getting cardiovascular disease, yeah? So black people, um, in Asians, they're more at risk. Now, are they more at risk because they eat a lot of fried foods, for example. Do, do you know what I mean? They eat a lot of... Say, like, planting, for example, yeah? Um, That's drenched in oil. I don't, like... That's, like, drenched in oil. Certain foods, dumpling, like... I don't know what mix you are, but say, like, Caribbeans, you know, dumplings, festival, fried chicken. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Is it because the diet is the same? Or is it because it's genetics that actually makes you more at risk of cardiovascular disease like genetically or is it that you have the same diet as your mum and your mum had the same diet as your gran and you've all had the same diet so then you've all got the same risk um i don't know from a from a mixed perspective I think you raise a good point there because well i would i would argue well the plot, like you say, plantain. Yes, it is fried, but then technically, it's still a, it's still a fruit, though. So it's, it's, it's... yeah, a high, a high. Technically, it is very high start, um carbohydrate for you, though. Do you know what I mean? True. But then to come back onto your point as to is it your like, family? Example, like corn beef. Like, I don't eat corned beef, I think it's grim, but, like, <laughs> beef, for example, that could be, like, what is that? Like, you know, what is that? That is obviously, that is risk factor foods right there. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? But I think, like like you were saying, it, it you could say it, it is and it isn't. It, it, it is a risk factor because... As you say, it's a, a a food that is higher in saturated fat, and obviously going to put a massive amount of pressure on your, um, be it your cardio cardio uh, cardiovascular system. However, do you, know, do you know the percentage of vegans that get cardiovascular disease? No, that's going to interest me. I'm assuming it. It's, in th in theory, it should be quite low, but I would be. Is that all? That's all. Five percent. That is all. It should 5%. be lower. It should be lower than that. Yeah, it should be. But I mean, five percent. Like that's quite interesting, isn't it? Like, and then 
I wonder how many, um, say, if you were to compare it to, say, the ethnic minorities, those who are vegan, how many of them are now, like, how many of them have cardio? I don't know the answer to that, but how many of them have cardiovascular issues? You know, it's interesting. It's, in, it's very, very interesting, you know? Yeah, but then I don't, I don't ever see... This is probably a generalisation of my own, of that probably those ethnic groups ever possibly going down that route because it's very much in, gross in their culture, their way of living, etc. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, well, there's certain like Rastafarians and stuff. Like, what mix are you? Are you Caribbean or African? My father's African American. So, uh, who, who, in terms of like the going back. Uh, through the well, not genetic pool, but family history, mm, I wouldn't like to say it's, it's, I'm, that fa- my father's side of the family is either from the Caribbean or Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like you do get like obviously you got like Rastafarians and they have like an idol diet. I mean, they look. I don't know if you've seen them. They look really, really healthy to me. Um, but it's true. I don't know many, many. Caribbeans, Africans that take a vegan. There are, they are, they are there, but there's not many. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I agree, definitely. But then, Jesse, this probably goes into my next question now. Obviously, you've gone on now to do your masters in cardiac rehab. It did obviously, as we've talked about earlier in the show, did that have any bearing on kind of the route you've taken? But in terms of um, family history and all that kind of stuff, in terms of the course I chose? Um, a little bit, yeah. I would say I would go down that route. Yeah. I mean, basically what happened was, once I qualified as a personal trainer, I thought that I was going to be working with people that were morbidly obese. And I would be able to help them lose weight and get active and healthy. But them type of people just wasn't coming into the gym. It was people who were you know, already slim, but wanted to have a more defined six-pack or wanted a bigger bum or had a marathon coming up. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed doing that, but that's not where my my passion is. Like, I actually want to work with those who are morbidly obese and basically help get them on the health path. So when I looked at the, um, the masters, like, in terms of like the cardiovascular and all of this kind of stuff and the risk factors and the type of people that I would be working with, I said, yes, that's what I want to do because then them patients will be coming through the NHS when you work in cardiac rehab. You're going to get the patients coming in who've had heart trouble. Most of the time, you know, the people that have had problems with their heart, they're either overweight um, or they've taken uh, some sort of drug and it's given them problems or age or whatever, but in terms of there will be people who are obese coming in and those are the people that I want to work with. Those are the people that I want to help rehabilitate. And once I'm qualified, that is exactly what I will be doing. So that's more my passion. Well, it's a difficult one in terms of like you say, it's, I think a lot of people are fixated on obviously their own, uh, how would I put it, cues as to why they went into the profession. And obviously yours is a very good one. To, and obviously it's it's a difficult one because obviously you probably know it 
first first case, case point, obviously, you were never gonna go to a gym in the first place, or you uh, in any case in point. So you probably know firsthand it's going to be rare occasion that that's that that scenario is probably not the case but in most scenarios they're going to avoid it because of stigma stigmatization uh those demons within their own minds as to people uh shaming them possibly not so but you've always got you are your own worst enemy in in, in since when you're thinking like that so i think you, you probably right in going down that route and probably getting it them at the source yeah 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 i mean in terms of like being overweight and going to the gym people can be very cruel and people can be mean i'm I'm not gonna lie i've seen personal trainers have a client and talk about them like you know because they're overweight or whatever people even and that's someone who's training them so people can be very very mean um so i can understand why someone wouldn't come into the gym at a particular size i get i actually get it but i was disappointed because i thought that it was like yeah there was just going to be loads of them coming in and i can help them all but that just wasn't the case so then i was like okay i need to change this because as much as yeah i do like i i I enjoy teaching the exercise classes and i like that but that's just not my my passion like it's, it's really not yeah well, I think it's it's. Oh, I, I think they've churned out, and it's probably a different. It's kind of a different. It's kind of side, it's not sidestepping the issue, but it's kind of tangent now. But it the people are being churned out on a well, I'll say we'll say on a monthly basis now. It's probably a little bit more than that, and obviously it's they've got this assumption of what it is, but then actually when you actually get into the job and start doing it, the realisation is, in most cases, it's not the job that you thought it was. Okay, you've got to kind of be... I, James, I, had, I trained the guy once, and do you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to basically make the, the muscles on his forearm bigger so it looked good when he was wearing his watch. <laughs> Like and don't get me wrong, like but too much know, money would, then. <laughs> yeah, like I will, I would train that person, but for me to, and I'm passionate about personal training, but not that cosmetic side. You know, I'm not really interested in the. I'm more health, like health based, rather than just looking good. Like I want people to look good, feel good. I want someone who's like morbidly obese to go to a healthy weight and then. Like, you know, it's life-changing. It's really life-changing for someone to be obese and change their life. Like, it's it's, it's very much life-changing. I, I think I think you raise a good argument there because I think it's... That is definitely more satisfying because, you, like you say, you're helping somebody change their lifestyle. Whereas I think... I think... Uh, oh, this is a generalisation again. I think most people and society at large are fixated on the aesthetic look. I care what other people think about me. I, I Obviously, that's for me, that's maybe been a case maybe when I was in my teens, in most cases. And that was, I think everybody would probably agree with this, the sentiment now. Everybody's gone through some sort of... Um, I won't say issue, but 
having to deal with how they are appearing to themselves at that stage in life. Okay, there's gonna some people may have it at the teens and maybe later on and things like that. Okay, that's that's everybody's different. But I think to say for me, bar that, I don't care. I, I, at other stages of my life, I could care less. But then I'm probably in the minority. Yeah, you most probably are, to be fair. I mean, I think a lot of people care about um, how other people perceive them. I mean, social media is you must really see it yourself where you think oh where someone's posted something and you think oh that that's not you like you don't normally behave like that why on social media are you behaving like this you've most probably seen it yourself and it's like to gain not all but it, more time is to gain the approval of of others I, i've seen it from people i know and i think that is not who you are but on social media you've got a totally different persona like you know or you can you can kind of hide to a certain extent, be it behind yeah. a computer screen, behind your mobile phone to a certain extent, uh, and not divulge your true self. Okay, that's in the larger sense of things is probably not a good thing because you, in most cases, are not able to get your feelings across, your expressions, whatnot, because you're putting up this, well, this wall, this facade that you want to see uh, the good days. Obviously, as you know, we'll see straight through that, be it from a, be it, be it another health professional, uh, model, you name it. It's like, yeah, okay, this is fake. This, this, is, this is impossible. You're doing this 300, 365 days a year. Uh, yeah, being like that because there's going to come a point where you, there's definitely something um, you were hiding in the background because you can't be perfect all year round because you're not a robot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, with the fitness industry as well, like fitness professionals, they make it seem like they never have a bad day. They never have... Um, some of them are addictive and some of them most probably don't, to be honest with you, because some of them are really, really addictive. But not everyone's an angel 100% of the time. Or if they are, you know, some people are taking growth hormone or taking steroids or some people have had surgery and then they say, oh, you know, you can get the perfect bum, but they've had bum injections, you know. Like, it's full, like, it's a very, um, not to all, because there are some great personal trainers and great role models, but there, there are also some that are not honest. And I, I don't like that. I think you should be honest and open, you know. Like, in, if you've had work done or you're a bad food day or whatever, I think it's good to be open and honest, you know, personally. Well, I've had the, I've had the opposite. I've had people say to me, shouldn't you be... How do they, they word this? Sh- shouldn't... Oh, I can't remember how you... The quote... Oh... Like, shouldn't you be a perfect example sort of thing? Well, so not to those words in, 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 exactly, but it's like, well... Preach sort of thing? Yeah, that's the one. Uh, I, I kind of turned this on his head. It's like, well, I'm a human being as well. And I think, I can't remember what I was eating. It, well, it, I wouldn't say it was... I wouldn't glamify it and say it was something healthy because it wasn't. 
and I did it because I needed energy and obviously the fastest way to do that is obviously eat something that is I mean it's funny higher in sugar. The the thing is, it's like there's other things I have talked about this before with someone else, but it's funny because there's certain things like if you're addicted to drugs, for example, yeah, you don't actually need drugs. Like you don't need them. Like with food, you actually need food. Like, you know, if you don't have food, you're going to die. You need food in your life. So it's 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 one of them things which is like you can actually be addicted to food. Like it sounds really dramatic, like, but you can actually be addicted to sugar, for example. I've seen it. I I was addicted to sugar. God knows I was <laughs> I loved sugar. You know. And it's something that it's like you actually do need food it's not it's not you know and i feel like especially in the western world you know we celebrate birthdays we go out to dinner we're very sociable people if you could do it where it's like 80 percent of the time you're good and 20 percent of the time you're not or you have some sort of a setup you're fine you know as long as you do things in moderation, it's not a problem. But for you to never do it, that's also a problem to me as well, you know? To never ever have go out for a meal and, I don't know, have a piece of cake, for example. Once in a blue moon, it's all right. It's it's when you're doing it consistently. But then, Jesse, would you not argue that uh, companies like uh, The Biggest Loser, Slimming World... Um... Oh God! A few and then a Weight Watcher and, and and things of that nature. Kind of, I'm trying to think of a word. Kind of portray and get people to think along the lines that if I eat eighty twenty, I'll say that split of eighty twenty part of the time, I'm not going to get to my goals. Um, and if we well, go a step further than that, if you have say that piece of cake or oh, I'm going to go off the rails I mean Weight Watchers is a funny one, they was kind of under scrutiny not too long ago and they had to change their whole system because Weight Watchers, what it did was it had a point system, so say everything was almost like calories basically, so you have a certain you do a questionnaire, I don't know if you know much about Weight Watchers, but you do a questionnaire based on that questionnaire it gives you a certain amount of points, so say you can have 25 points now with that you all your food is they have a book and each food has a point or you know like an orange might be half a point a bar of chocolate might be five points so you have these points and once they're finished that's it for the day if you exercise you get more points that's how weight watchers works um now what was happening is that people were basically losing weight because they were eating in moderation but they had an appalling diet like a really unhealthy diet because all of their points were spent on crisp cake, fast foods, whatever. So they actually had to change the way their their system worked. Now that's that's again like that's not. Um, I wouldn't say that was an eighty twenty rule because you're being bad most of the time. You're just doing it in moderation. Mm-hmm. That's not good neither. That you know your body, your body's still starving of nutrients. You know you're 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 you're, you're not getting that nutrition in. So I feel like yeah, if you're good most of the time, you're feeding yourself you know you're getting nutrition like you know you're getting nutrition not just energy not just energy foods but you're actually getting nutrition and then you know once in a blue moon you go out and you say you know what i want a piece of cake 
cool. But when it's like every day, all of the time, that's when it's an issue. Um, Slimming World, they do red and green days. Um, I don't, I don't know too much about Slimming World other than they basically do a red day, which is like you can have meat, and on a green day is carbs. So I don't know how that diet exactly works, to be honest with you. But I know that they split the food groups up and yeah i don't know how that works and what was the other one you said uh i brought up um the biggest loser the big in terms of the diet on the biggest loser i don't know what that diet is because the diet that we had and the diet they advocate in the book is completely different so i I can't really commentate on that one too much because yeah but the the diet that we had was very healthy so we wasn't allowed carbs after, so we had carbs with the, with breakfast, carbs with lunch, but no carbs with dinner. And our carbs was weighed out at fifty grams for lunch, uh, fifty grams at breakfast, and fifty grams at lunch. And it was like you know your typical complex carbs. So you you was allowed fifty grams of that, and a hundred and twenty five grams of protein. And um, in terms of sort of green leafy vegetables that were sort of unlimited. Not, it's not too bad, but I yeah. think it's obviously from... It's for people to picture, I can probably do it because it's not too difficult to, to comprehend, but obviously 50 grams of carbohydrates is, well, in the modern sense, is virtually nothing because obviously we've gone... Uh, you probably agree with this far and beyond what we uh, probably like, and you 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 brought it up earlier on, obviously with the the calorie intake. We're eating probably more calorie, well, not more calories, but more calories made up of carbohydrates than there we'll is. ever need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you take um, is it the corn fructose syrup? Like that is in like every sauce every um like ketchup like corn fructose syrup like is in everything like it's a, it's a food that has been made into like a thousand things and it's so bad for you like it's so corn in general i think i don't know if you corn is is a really really big gmo your body can't really break it down properly and process it properly do you know what i mean but it's literally in so many foods now you know, and it does nothing for the body. It's crap. It doesn't it doesn't do anything, you know. And we have so many of these dead foods, like, that don't actually do anything for us, you know. They don't give us any nutrition, you know. So for, uh, for my final question, Jesse, uh, to wrap up the episode today, uh, obviously, i like to finalise the episode's normally with this question uh if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today for people to take away into one sentence what would that be into one sentence um could i end it with a quote okay so i will say um i don't know which order it goes though uh, food is thy medicine, and medicine is thy food. I think that's I think that's a great quote to, to end the episode with. Mm-hmm. So once again, Jesse, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been <laughs> my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short written review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Oh, my God.